everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Core Consult RX podcast that is just rocketing towards 200 episodes. Oof. We're going to just give you the official countdown now over the next year. <laughs> You're going to hear it every day for uh, the next year. So get ready for that. Because to us, it happens quickly. Actually, it probably happens faster to the podcast world than it does to us. Maybe. Because, you know, and if they're, they're probably listening to this like a year from now. Right. And they're listening to them one a day, one every couple of days. So they hear the countdown over the course of a month. I think you are strongly under over uh, overestimating how often people listen. Okay, well, I'm thinking about how I listen to podcasts, okay. which is never live. But you listen to good podcasts. Well. That's the difference. I never listen to a podcast like the day it comes out. It's I'm always, because I go back, if I like a podcast, I go back to the beginning. Okay. And I want to catch all the way up. So like, I stuff gotcha. you should know, they're getting a shout out. I started in like this. back in 2008, or I went all the way back to 2008 episodes, and now I'm in like 2019. Nice. So I've never listened to like a live episode or one that just came out. Uh, well, there you go. Maybe. And yeah. I mean, who knows? People who uh, watch us for the first time on, or listen to us rather, they can watch. They us. can watch us. Nobody YouTube, does, but they can follow and subscribe to YouTube. <laughs> um, but the the ones who listen to us for the first time on episode 200. Mm-hmm. It's instantaneous for them. That is true. So there you go. So they won't even have to hear the countdown. But then maybe they listen to 200. It gets them hooked, and they have to go back and start from the beginning. And then a year from then, they hear the countdown. Maybe it's a theory. It's probably wrong, but hypothesis. I, maybe. No, it's we'll not. See. It's a theory. Is it? I don't know. Everyone who's listening ahead of time now is lost, and they're like, <laughs> "Okay, turning this on to a better podcast." AJ, what's good, buddy? Grand Rising. What? Good evening. Oh, okay. Right on. AJ's using new terms, apparently. Our executive producer, AJ, in the house, as usual. So, AJ, what are we talking about today? Tier Zepatide, a dual GIP-GLP-1 receptor agonist. For those of you who have not seen Tier Zepatide, um, what are you doing? First I know. Of all, second it's, of uh, all. It's something else, huh? It, it could be the game changer, I would say, for di- type 2 diabetes. I, I thought it was GLP-1s by themselves. Well, GLP-1s were a game changer. They are. But they are a game changer. However. However. The GLP-1 GIP receptor analog could be much more of a game changer. I mean, changer. we've had like a wave of new drugs with the GLP-1s, mm-hmm. oral and injectable, over the last, what, five years? Mm-hmm. Six years? I predict another wave. I think this one that's going to start if, with this. Even if this is the only wave, even if this good. is the only one, right? But just like think about how novel the first GLP ones were, which I guess they go back all the way to like. I mean, Bayeta has been around for a minute, right? But the good ones were like <laughs> the good, the, good, the non-garbage ones. Good ones, right? Um, I mean, after this comes out and it's really good, I, hopefully they're just going to make better ones. I mean, I'm sure they got some in the pipeline. I'm sure they do. On. Nova Nordisk is probably so mad right now. I tell you what. So this is Lily, which um, as we get into the the data, it's interesting. I think they have a trial that's putting it up against Trulicity. Mm-hmm. I think that was one of the initial ones. And uh, then, uh, okay, and then it went against Ozempic after that. Yeah. So they've put it up, and we'll go through all the stuff, but they've put it up against some heavy hitters, yep. which is what we're always asking for with trials with drugs and diabetes, especially the new ones. Uh, yeah. So good they, on Lily for actually taking the chance and I tell you what. Good for them. And they've gotten like some it. good results. They must have been confident, right? So if they weren't, they wouldn't have done it. Maybe. But they knew they knew they had something going on. Got to be confident. It's key. Yeah. So I'll, the other thing I'm really excited about is the device. I mean, it's... it's. I haven't seen it. So, well, most likely it's the Trulicity device. Oh, yeah, yeah. So same like they did with Tults, but they just had a little bit bigger 
version of it. That's true um, because yeah, all their, they own all that. their devices look like that. Mm-hmm. Mgality. Mm-hmm. They, you know? they own that device, that uh, uh, proprietary like Everybody device. Everybody likes it. They do, yeah. So I mean, I love that Trilogy pen for patients. So my patient, every I've never had a patient complain about that one. I'm glad that we can buzz market without risk of like you know, I don't know. But yeah, we can just say whatever we want about. Of course. Yeah, I just think about like CE talks that I've given and oh, stuff, yeah, and you have to be careful about stuff. But yeah, not, not here. When when it's not a CE, we just we yeah. talk about whoever we want. Throw caution in the wind and hope that they give us some money someday. Yeah, well, probably not. They, they, they we'll say <laughs> they haven't <laughs> but, yet. But uh, yeah, that's the thing is we. I feel like we should be getting sponsored by Lily based on all the <laughs> positive things we say. But unfortunately, for you know us, it's the just, problem is like if something data. better comes along, then we'll just drop. Them oh yeah, I'll I'll turn you into Prevnar thirteen <laughs> and just make fun of you constantly. So, anyways, without further ado, um, AJ, how did you start getting in? Because I know you've been talking about this and ranting and raving for it for about a month now or maybe longer. Um, what got you interested in this med? Deep into diabetes research, we're seeing an increase in the importance of hormones and glucose uh, regulation in the body. And so this is kind of just a solely hormonal uh, drug that is being used for the treatment of type 2 diabetes. And it's, it's novel, honestly. Yeah. So for those of you who are not familiar with, um, you know, a GI, GIP and what that is, um, it's one of the two main, you know, incretins or incretins, depending on how you want to pronounce it, um, that we think about. And, and in incretin is the incretin effect is basically the idea that giving glucose orally will stimulate a better um, uh, insulin response from the body than it would be if you gave glucose intravenously, um, and it's be because of the uh, release of GIP and GLP-1 um, in the intestinal tract and their uh, downstream effects on the beta cells in the pancreas to release that insulin. Uh, and so GIP is the, the side of things that we haven't really explored yet, um, or well, you know, the medical clinician world has not explored because we haven't had any available products. Um, but Tazepatide is going to use both GIP and GLP-1 and use both sides of the incretin uh, world in order to uh, facilitate a better response than we've had previously, based on the data anyway. Yeah, it's very interesting. And for those who are very familiar with the incretin effect and have heard of GIP, you might be saying, I thought that it had a different name. Well, it turns out, for some nonsense reason, it's known as by two different names, actually three different names. Mm-hmm. So gastric inhibitory polypeptide, gastric inhibitory peptide, or glucose-dependent insulinotropic polypeptide. That's all of those are... GIP. They're all they're all abbreviated as GIP as well. So I think if you look at um, some of the trials and maybe even like Lily's website and stuff, they like the long form one. I think they, it just makes it sound more official. But it's the <laughs> glucose dependent insulinotropic polypeptide. But all of those, um, I feel like the one I had heard was gastric inhibitory peptide. But all of them are the same. And uh, yeah, so it's definitely. Uh you know, for what it lacks in uh, FDA-approved products, it makes four up for in uh, letters in the name. <laughs> yeah. But uh, this is a drug I definitely think will be approved this year. I wouldn't be surprised um, if not sooner than later. Um, but I guess we'll kind of start off just talking about some of the uh, you know background you know, biochem physiological effects that GIP have. Um, and you know, we'll, we've we've gone over GLP one uh, many many times in this podcast. So GIP, I don't think we've ever even really mentioned. Um, I've heard you say it. Okay. So somewhere when you were probably talking about a GLP-1, you were talking about GIP. Perfect. Right on. So this is the – just to recap GLP-1s, um, if you think about its effect on the pancreas, you know we're going to get an increased release of insulin, and that's after you've had 
a meal involving carbohydrates, you're going to get an increase in glucagon, or I'm sorry, a decrease in glucagon secretion from the pancreatic alpha cells, um, because once we start secreting insulin, if glucagon levels then go up to kind of counteract that and you know create that homeostatic ba uh, balance, um, we offset some of the effects of the insulin and someone with diabetes, we don't want that. So we want to suppress glucagon if possible. And also, um, you know, it can help with beta cell uh, proliferation and hopefully uh, increasing the available healthy cells that are able to produce said insulin in the first place. Um, and then we know its effect uh, as far as gastric emptying, where it slows that down, um, slows down um, the ability to kind of break down those carbohydrates and hopefully not, uh, the blood sugar uh, is a, basically a more of a rolling hill than a uh, sharp spike. And then it also can decrease appetite, um, through not only the gastric emptying, um, process, but also through, uh, its effects on the, uh, actual feeling of hunger, um, where GLP-1 receptors binding in the hypothalamus can uh, increase the uh, activity of pro-opioid melanocortin neurons, um, uh, firing. AJ, did I get it right? Pro-opio-melanocortin neuron. Bam. Nailed it. Nice. I should I should mention that I found a little extra info on the name, since that's just what I'm going to talk about the whole time. Yeah. But it, the old name was the gastric inhibitory polypeptide or peptide, which is probably why that's what we had heard. But they felt like that was describing the function of it incorrectly, because I used to think that it was it decreased secretion of stomach acid to protect the small intestines from stomach acid and reduce GI motility, which they now attribute more to secretin, which is a hormone where we've probably heard of. So since it does what Mike just said, and it is primarily related to insulin secretion, they renamed it glucose dependent, not renamed it, but a lot of people prefer the name glucose dependent insulinotropic polypeptide, but kept the abbreviation GIP to prevent confusion, but it may have just created more. There you go. And so those things I was just referring to is, uh, um, that's the GLP-1 side. So GIP, going to have similar effects. So you're going to have increased release of insulin from beta cells whenever um, you have carbohydrate you know, in the diet. You consume those, you're going to get that beta cell release of uh, insulin. You're also going to get that beta cell um, proliferation in order to create more healthy cells. However, the, one of the things that is different about GIP is that um, when it's euglycemic environments or um, even in hypoglycemic environments, you actually get an increased release of glucagon, which by itself, especially in a euglycemic environment, by itself is one of the reasons why GIPs as a standalone monotherapy agent haven't come to fruition as of yet. Um, we want to suppress glucagon in a lot of cases with type 2 diabetes, but because this is together, we are offsetting the glucagon activity that the GIP-1 has at euglycemic uh, um, levels, and then the GLP-1 is suppressing that glucagon so that you're kind of shutting down or at least limiting the effects of glycogenolysis, gluconeogenesis. And um, when the person, if the patient were to have a hypoglycemic event, then that increase in glucagon activity could actually come into um, into play and be a benefit in that case. So that's why the GIP and GLP-1 from a pancreas standpoint seem to be an effective combo. Um, also, one of the kind of unique things with GIP-1 is it actually, or excuse me, GIP, not one. There's no one after it. Um, with <laughs> GIP, nothing. I know. GIP, zero. But, so it's uh, not even zero. Okay. It's just well, nothing. Just just nothing. Right on. <laughs> Different than zero. It, me and AJ had a whole debate about this. <laughs> um, but uh, GIP uh, affects the increase of uh, bone 
uh, formation and basically can kind of help to store some of that free calcium um, in the uh, bone itself and actually increase osteoblast activity and decrease osteoclast. And so you actually can get some, some bone formation, which who knows, maybe we'll end up using this in not just diabetes, but also as a tool towards osteoporosis in the future. Hmm. AJ, have you seen anything about that? I have. And that's, uh, that's one of the weird things about these hormones is that they've got a lot of receptors expressed in a lot of different places. And uh, one thing that I think Cole may be excited to hear is that there's expression of receptors in the tongue uh, as well as the bones and uh, fat cells and, and different things like that. And so they will increase uh, taste sensitivity as well as increase uh, bone resorption or decrease resorption, increase deposition as well as fat deposition uh, when you're utilizing that glucose. That is exciting to me because as we were talking about before the podcast, and I think I've mentioned before, since I had COVID, I had lost my sense of taste. Now it's started to return, but it's extremely blunted. So if I had a way to improve my taste, I would be boom. I would be very appreciative of that. So just, you never know. Maybe we'll inject you with this stuff. Just to see give what me happens. some GIP. Maybe. Just give me some GIP. So the, one of the other things that it plays a role in is actually the, the fat accumulation, um, which again, I think has kind of been one potential limiting factor. AJ, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the limiting factors when you, you think about it is monotherapy. However, when you add that in with the GLP-1, um, that can kind of offset that. And you, as you'll see from the trials, we actually got some solid weight loss data associated with this as well. Synergistic, almost 11 to 12 kilograms actually over 26 weeks. Yeah. So it's fantastic. And we'll talk, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it, but it's great. Yeah. Um, also it's, you know, it's broken down by DPP-4. So just like with the GLP-1, there's no reason to have to have a DPP-4 inhibitor on top of it. Um, cause it's going to be there to kind of, you know, resist the effects of DPP-4 anyway. And, uh, I think it's going to be one of those things that, uh, is definitely because of all the unique mechanisms at play and all that, I think it's going to be a, a game changer for sure. Um, it also seems to um, promote like insulin release and um, kind of the the kind of storing of uh, different um, like in, insulin precursors um, as well and in, inside the the cell and, and yeah it, it's something that I think is going to cover as many air like pathways as we can kind of, or at least that we know of now, um, from a medication standpoint, I think it's going to cover all of our super important pathways to kind of get us to our end goal with treating diabetes, just type two anyway. Um, what I miss with the uh, mechanism, AJ? Oh, AJ, tell us about apoptosis or anti-apoptosis. Anti-apoptosis. So basically just the cell program death is uh, one thing that the GIPs and GOPs both help uh, stimulate is the healthy cleanup and restoration of those cells. A lot of times in type 2 diabetes, we've got downregulation of enzymes and different uh, proteins like uh, arginase 2 that will increase the rate of which these cells are dying, but they don't increase the rate of which they kind of regenerate. And so GIP and GLP-1 also both help the regeneration of those cells. Yep. So I think uh, this could also slow down the progression if you have a patient where you know they're they've been hyperglycemic for a very long time. You're getting beta cell destruction because of just the overactivity and um, stress, and maybe hopefully this can kind of preserve some of those the beta cell function and you know carry on. Um, anything else, AJ, that we haven't talked about that I'm missing? 
There's very few receptors that are expressed, little to none on the alpha cells, actually. So that's why GLP-1s have little to no effects on glucagon uh, and euvolemic or hypovolemic. Uh, not volemic, euglycemic uh, and hypoglycemic. I was going to say. Glycemic states. Yeah. Right on. But uh, they are highly expressed in the delta cells, and that's what expresses somatostatin. And somatostatin is a hormone that is highly expressed. Uh, the receptors are highly expressed on alpha cells. So that's why you have that uh, anti, that glucagon suppressing effect uh, from GLPs and GIPs. Heck yeah. And the other thing is going to be curious to see if they can if they can prove that the, it has the cardiovascular protection as well, like Trilocity did. Man, it's going to be all time it's for coming. this drug. It's coming. I think so too. The cardiovascular stuff. Yeah, they're they're studying it, so I'm yeah. hoping that that shows positive results too. Yeah, and they have some. Um, they have a. We'll talk about each one, but like in the in the Surpass Four trial when they went up against Galargine, they have some mention of um, cardiovascular safety, but yes, there, there's, so all these trials are the Surpass trials, a spoiler, we'll get into each one of them, but I think the one um, that you're mentioning is Surpass CVOT that they're putting up against um, Dilaglutide, which is, of course, um, Trilicity, mm-hmm. and I don't know why my mind just blanked there, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's what they're, they're doing the full cardiovascular safety like they, they've done with all the rest, and that data should be out in 2024. So we've got a minute to wait. but um, That's they, the cardiovascular data you said? That's the cardiovascular data. Mm-hmm. And nice. um, so it can be approved before that. But I think we'll get some interesting info. Yeah, that'll be great. That. Yeah. Um, so I guess let's just start with uh, at the beginning with the Surpass trials. Um, so Surpass 1, um, the terzepatide uh, ter- is basically dosed at 5, 10, and 15 milligrams. Um, it's given weekly. Uh, so that's another uh, – bonus for that drug as well um and it's it was in that particular study um which was published in lancet um they were looking at the a1c reduction as well as the uh, weight loss um, throughout a 40-week treatment range and um we saw that the uh, placebo adjusted a1c reductions um during that 40-week treatment range from 1.91 percent to 2.11 percent um, depending on which dose was used, and you know the weight reductions range 6.3 to 8.8 kilograms in that se- in that study, and uh, up to 92 patients that were in the study um, achieved an A1C below seven, um, compared to only 19% of those taking placebo. Um, so it's uh, and it's and actually um, five, 52. Um, percent versus one percent of placebo achieved levels below 5.7 percent. Which is kind of interesting. It's very interesting, and you'll see that as a trend throughout the rest of the surpass trials, which I think is interesting that they let them get that low, but then they also reported the adverse events, and for the most part, it doesn't seem like hypoglycemia is any higher than the comparator groups either. So very interesting. And why we both kind of pause if you haven't heard our uh, us talk about like the Accord trial, where they basically compared uh, more strict A1C control to more relaxed. Uh, I think I believe um, was 6.0 was the target. They got to about 6.4 versus 7.5 or so in the uh, more relaxed group. They ended up having to stop the trial early because increased risk of death from mostly hypoglycemic type events and uh, in the more um, controlled arm. And so we've always kind of relaxed A1C goals for most patients, especially type 2 patients that are older. And so this, the, the fact that they actually pushed it to below 5.7 to basically normalize A1C again is interesting. And they did it without having the um, 
hypoglycemic events that would kind of put the patient at risk. So very interesting. Yeah, I think that's attributable to the uh, GIP. So GIP increases that metabolic flexibility, and it also helps simulate the glucagon at those hypoglycemic events. And so it, that's just, it's beautiful. It's synergistic, and it's just opening up a whole new step into diabetes treatment. It's beautiful. I know, it is. Well, well, well said, AJ. I well like said. that. It's beautiful. It is. No, it's great. I mean, to think, if we could take a time machine and show this drug just when, you know, they were had just the basic, you know, humulinin or, or yeah, uh, yeah, just basic insulins or yeah, sulfonylureas just came out and we're like, hey, we got these newest and greatest glipizide. The advancements are amazing because think about, I mean, think about how revolutionary insulin was when it came oh, out yeah. and now lift. we're like humulinin, you know, yeah. pig insulin or whatever, like, like, you know, but never. It's great. It's good. It's really good. So, um, that was surpass one. Then there's four more, but surpass two, I think is probably one of the most compelling to me um, only because it puts uh, it puts terzepatide straight up against semaglutide, ozempic, which is some people's go-to, especially with weight loss in mind. A lot of people um, um, like Trilicity too, but uh, they put it up against it, looking at um, for non-inferiority with A1C and with um, the weight, and they found non-inferiority and superiority with both. Um, so as far as A1C reduction goes, they got um, about 2.3 points during the 40-week follow-up, which is kind of what they do with all these trials, um, in the trisepatide group, uh, which was significantly, significantly better than the 1.8% um, point reduction with uh, semaglutide. So that's significant. As far as the weight reduction, they had 5.5 kilograms more with the trisepatide group than with semaglutide. And I think the actual like full number for trisepatide was 11.2 kilograms in the highest dose in the 15 milligrams, um, which for those of you who are in America, that's like, what, 24 pounds, 25 pounds or something like that? A lot. That's a lot uh, versus semaglutide, which we seem tend to think of as the best for weight reduction. I mean, it, at, it, it is. It is yeah. the best for weight reduction at 5.7 kilograms. I mean, that is, I mean, that's 25% of the 20, yeah. It's 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 a no, huge it's not. Reduction. It's about fifty. It's about fifty percent of the of the uh, reduction that you see with terzepatide. I stepped in there. That was I. Saw I eat terzepatide is one hundred percent better. <laughs> it's twice as good, times two, uh, as far as weight reduction goes. <laughs> it works a hundred percent of the time. Listen, listen. When I was converting 60. from kilograms to pounds, and then back, it was confusing. Sixty percent of sixty percent of the time, every time. <laughs> every time. So yeah. um, the other thing is with as far as the dosing schedule, they uh, basically the patients if they were in the trisepatide group, they had they started with two point five milligrams um, once a week for four weeks, and then were titrated up uh, two point five milligrams um, at increments every four weeks. So it took a little bit to actually get to the higher doses um, of the trisepatide when they went to the fifteen milligrams. Once the patient was set, um, in a group. So they were at the, let's say they're at five milligram dosing. They didn't increase from there. So they kind of got mm. left in that group. Interesting. Um, and then the, I wonder what, how that affects the results. I don't, well, well and, it's, that's fine. That's fine. Never well, mind. and then the semaglutide, um, group was all one milligram, but again, they were started at 0.25. Right. Cause that was a concern I had. Well, how come we didn't see more GI upset and stuff in the semaglutide group if they were just – but they weren't just started on one milligram. It was the normal titration of I see. Ozempic. And speaking of which, we should probably mention the adverse effects because they were – I don't know about the significance. I didn't double check. But it looks like it's a little bit higher with the trisepatide than with the semaglutide. Um, so the most common are nausea, um, diarrhea, 
vomiting. Um, and it looks to be a few percentage points higher with terzepatide versus, um, versus semaglutide. With the uh, hypoglycemia, um, it was about the there was a little bit more hypoglycemia with the terzepatide group. About at the highest dose, one point seven percent of the patients um, had hypoglycemic events versus 0.4 with the semaglutide. That was at the highest dose. With the lower doses, it was 0.6 percent with the five milligrams, 0.2 percent with the ten milligrams. Takeaway point for me: all those percentages are extremely low. So yeah, that's good. Yeah, and I will say, you know, the the other thing, and we've mentioned this before, but when it comes to kind of seeing the impact of these medications, I, I it drives me crazy when I hear people say, oh, we would only expect to see, you know, one to one and a half percent reduction in A1C with these drugs. So if the person's in A1C is 13, then we really, you know, we need this plus insulin plus blah, blah, blah. Um, when you take into account the fact that, you know, the patient may undergo diabetes education and all that good stuff, obviously we can, we could probably see insane drops in A1C with this drug. And the the patients that were studying this group only had an A1C of on average about 8.3. So the fact that we could drop them two points yeah. is pretty huge. They weren't that high. And a huge percentage, just like in placebo, were under seven. Yeah. Uh, it, basically, the numbers that you quote from the trials are like if you handed this, them this drug and they did nothing else but mm-hmm. take this drug and keep everything else the same. That's what they'd see. But that's not how it happens. And uh, so, yeah, I think, you know, the, the side effect wise, maybe a little bit more instance of um, GI upset and some of those types of adverse effects. But I don't I want to discount overall, that, too, because, I mean, 20 percent of patients being nauseous, 15 percent of them having diarrhea. I mean, patients do not like that stuff. Yeah. Right. Um, but if they can if you can warn them about it ahead of time, it's usually helpful. Yeah. And if they can push through it and it uh, ends up getting uh, more tolerable as time goes on, mm-hmm. it's, it's a great thing to be on. I mean, worse. I mean, we'll, we have patients that really need to be on a GLP one. And if the nausea is the main thing, we'll just give them Zofran. Yeah. You know, for a week or two, see if let their bodies adjust and try it, go from there. That yeah. usually does the, does the trick. It's important enough for them to continue on it. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Uh, what's next? Which... So there's Surpass 3 and Surpass 4, um, which are effectively uh, very similar. Surpass 3 was um, uh, was terzepatide uh, in people taking metformin with or without an SGLT2 inhibitor. So these are these are all these patients are taking metformin. And we should have mentioned that in Surpass 2, um, they were also taking metformin as well, um, up against insulins. So uh, Surpass... They used too, which is the... The um, ultra long acting, yeah. right? So Surpass 3 was Degladec. Surpass 4 was Glargine. So both compelling. Glargine is obviously the more commonly used one, but Degladec is the ultra long acting. Um, and uh, effectively, as far as um, hypoglycemia events go, of course, they were much lower in the trisepatide group. As far as weight loss goes, we saw similar significant weight loss, 12.9 kilograms in the Surpass 3 um, and um, uh, similar in the Surpass 4 versus a bit of a weight gain with the insulin, like you'd expect, right? A couple of kilograms from there. And um, they also were, um, I believe both were superior in um, A1C reduction. Yeah. Is that right? So, yeah. yeah. So the... Uh the other thing that's interesting too is this study went 52 weeks as opposed to 40 weeks at the prior one, and I mean it's it's you can't it's you can't directly compare it. So I know this is not uh, statistically acceptable um, from a 
you know, statistic law standpoint. But I will say that you still numerically got even higher reduction in A1C in the surpass three. Um, and, uh, is, I believe in the surpass four as well. Yeah. And, uh, surpass four. So basically my thought is that the longer we stay on these medications, we're going to keep on getting that, um, that continued drop in A1C. So when you throw that in there with, uh, patients that also have, you know, some, um, diet, exercise counseling, and lifestyle change counseling, man, we're going to be in business. It's really good. And I should mention that Surpass 4, when they put it up against Glargine, the other big thing they were looking at um, was cardiovascular risk. So all the patients in Surpass 4 were at increased cardiovascular risk, and they did do an extended follow-up up to 104 weeks to search to, to look for the MACE, the major adverse cardiovascular event rates. Um, and they found a non-inferiority there, so there wasn't like superiority from the um, terzepatide, but uh, it at least was not worse than glargine from a, um, from a, uh, a cardiovascular perspective. But the, I think 87% of the patients had previous events, so it was a lot of secondary prevention, very high-risk patients. Um, so, you know, it, it, it'd be tough to, to get a superiority from that. But. Well, and you got to think, too, usually those studies are compared to placebo. But usually the they're compared to placebo. Yeah. who are in this group are having their A1C also treated with the insulin, which right. obviously the lower A1C is going to lead to less cardiovascular events. Right. So that may have just offset it with that. Well, also these patients are on metformin with or without sulfonylurea or SGLT2. So some of them are on SGLT2s, which we would expect to have right. some um, cardiovascular benefit from that too. So it's mixed in there. So, But this the way this trial is advertised is um, in the glargine trial the surpass four they were on sglt2 inhibitors they could have been on okay. all of them were it was gotcha. all metformin with or without sulfonylurea or sglt2 okay i thought that was the degladec that was no that was the glargine that was the glargine degladec what degladec was metformin with or without sglt2 but it wasn't people at increased cardiovascular risk gotcha. so they okay. didn't gotcha. do like gotcha. The, gotcha. the extension for the cardiovascular portion um yeah with our powers combined, Cole, we make one kind of okay guy. <laughs> we make one kind of smart pharmacist. <laughs> sort of like a, like a mediocre at best pharmacist that can read studies that other smart people wrote. Um, surpass five. Surpass um, five, yeah. Uh, that's, again, Glargine. Um, and this one, they went to 40 weeks. Um, and the total uh, tizepatide, again, the drop in A1C was five, uh, 2.59%. Um, Glargine only had a 0.93%. Well, um, so that was placebo. The, it was up against placebo. So the difference with five versus four. Oh, with, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. with, with Glargine. I can't read my own stinking thing. Um, right? So yes. So had plus Glargine. Right. So with five, with four, they were going up against Glargine. So it was basically like patients who had, have the oral therapies, they're kind of maxed out on them or whatever, and we want to add on insulin or terzepatide. Um, they didn't really take into account a regular GLP-1 in this instance, but it's like, okay, should we add on glargine? Should we add on terzepatide? Terzepatide seems to be clearly better. With Surpass 5, it's patients who may have been maxed out on oral therapy, maybe not, they didn't really specify, or I have to look a little deeper into that, but it's terzepatide plus glargine versus placebo. So are we going to see good benefit with it being added to glargine, or is it safe to be added with glargine and be used alongside insulin like we do with GLP-1s a lot of the time versus uh, placebo? Yep. And it seems to be, yes. Thank you. Good save, call. I don't know what the heck I was talking about. Tell you what, with our minds I, combined. I can't read words very good, apparently. <laughs> um, they also have the uh, Surpass AP combo, uh, which is another versus Glargine. This time I'm actually sure it's Glar- versus. Um, in patients who are taking one of the two uh, study meds plus metformin with or without a sulfonylurea, I hope, I hope that this shows that 
the sulfonia area groups had way more adverse effects, not as good a outcomes. Maybe the A1C wasn't that different, so we can finally put the nail in the coffin for sulfonia areas. Yeah, I don't really know. Um, I guess the only difference between this and Surpass 4 is that it wasn't patients that increased cardiovascular risk and there weren't SGLT2 involved. It's just the sulfonia area. So they, they might just be trying to figure out, like, can we say that we shouldn't use this with a sulfonia area or yeah. something, like from a cardiovascular perspective or – is this going to really increase the, the rates of hypoglycemia when you add on a sulfonylurea, stuff like that? That's the only reason I can think they're doing that versus the ones they've already done. But, um, yeah, I think you can get some good information from that. The, the You already mentioned the surpassed CVOT. Um, then that's the one that they are actually comparing against uh, dulaglutide 1.5 because it's the dose that showed to be you know cardioprotective from the Rewind trial. So this, I'm assuming, would be a non-inferiority Hopefully, they'll try to go for superiority, too, because that'd be crazy because the Rewind uh, study is definitely impressive compared to some of the other studies. So, if they can show this Those one's even better. all against placebo, aren't they? Mm-hmm. That's wild, yeah. So, this one, this one's stepping it up. So, I, with that, the amount of trials they're doing, I'm surprised they didn't do one against placebo and then go for dilagotype. But they really must be confident. I think the early studies were placebo. The very – yeah, a little cocky. Oh, like phase one, phase two? Yeah, I think they were – phase two. And I think – Iggy, wasn't there a uh, initial placebo versus placebo before the surpass trial? Or am I making that up? There was, and then there was one after that was the surmount trial. Okay. And they might – here's a thought too. They might be saying if we can get it non-inferiority to dulaglutide, then we're saying that means it has the benefit that dulaglutide yeah, has. You for know sure. what I'm saying? So that's probably their thought process. Yeah, which is fine. I would take and that. And then if it's better – so yeah, I guess it's a win-win yeah. because then if it's – the only way they could lose is if dulaglutide is better, which I guess is a risk. But then if it's better, then it's like using yeah. I would I would say I don't know how it could be. If you're still getting – uh, Unless there's can... something going on with GIP that uh, – that might have some pleiotropic effect that we're not aware of or something. Yeah, so. which I don't, I don't. I'm pretty sure that the effects in the heart aren't anything I worried about. Chronotropic. Hmm? GIP is chronotropic, actually. Oh, okay. Yes. Well, there you go. So I guess it has some effect on the heart. Okay. Thank you, AJ. I'm just getting, heart rate. I'm just getting messing up all over the place tonight. I, I'm gonna have to just call it a day and just retire <laughs> from podcasting. That's but, what happens when we have two of us in here, huh? Yeah, I guess. They uh, they also have a um, a Japanese study that is uh it was it was estimated to be completed in uh, April of 2021. I guess they've extended that. Um or at least the data hasn't been published officially that I could see. But um it was compared uh terzepatide was compared to dilaglutide uh, 0.75 milligrams um in people taking no other glucose lowering medications. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see. I, I don't know why they wouldn't have increased to the 1.5, the dilagotide. That seems a little weird. But um, yeah, so that that's in uh, the surpass J-Mono. Um, I like how the Japanese market did J-Mono. That sounds like their rapper name. I like that. Yeah, that would be a good rapper name. Um, and then surpass J-Combo. Huh? I get it. Another uh, study in the Japanese um, population um, where they compared it to uh, Terzepatide 2 non-incretin-based anti-diabetic uh, medications um, over a 52-week period. So it's definitely uh, – they're looking at it from all kinds of different angles. So I definitely – I like that. Yeah, the last big one that I think um, will be very interesting will be the surmount trials, which was um, – there's only one right now that's still got a few years left, but it's the surmount 1 trial. And it's looking specifically at Terzepatide for obesity, patients who have diabetes and they're obese. And so it's kind of mimicking the – 
they had no Zimpic trial that was just uh, that was just weight based, right? I thought they did, and that's how they got the um, the um, other brand name approved. Uh, anyways, yeah, so Ligovi. Yes, so they're not um, they're not do, looking at any different dosing. It's still the five, ten, and fifteen milligrams, um, but it's just looking specifically at body weight, and it's a seventy-two week follow-up. So I think they're going to see some banging results from that. I'd imagine. Yep, yep. The uh, the other thing that's kind of interesting too is um, they you know the not only are they having all these different studies, but if you want a very you like kind of concise and like all put together summary of all of these studies. Uh, if you check out the website, diabetes.medicinematters.com slash terzepatide, um, they have uh, some pretty good uh, summary slides of, or well, summary uh, listed out of all these different drugs. And um, they have a little area at the bottom where you can put in your email address. I don't know these people, so I'm, just, I'm assuming they're not going to spam me like crazy, but no guarantees. <laughs> um, but uh, they, you basically say if you're a healthcare professional, you give them your email address, and they will send you updates as new studies uh, come out and new information about the studies get released. So um, it's from Springer Healthcare Limited, where you know, whoever that is. So I say that with based on zero research and how good this, this place <laughs> is, and you may get a bunch of spam emails, so my bad. Well, I looked at the actual but, uh, trials and compared them a little bit to what they said. It looked good. So I yeah, think it seems, seems legit. seems legit. They also have a lot of other uh, journal club summary things of you know if you're into that kind of thing definitely check that out it's a cool website i'm, I'm subscribing myself so i'll let you guys know about spam <laughs> um just did it right now on the air so you guys can feel like you're a part of it i've got too much spam and i'm like oh i need to unsubscribe for some of this stuff but i'm i just delete yeah, delete delete never happen. i don't have time i don't even subscribe. delete i have ten thousand emails on my phone uh, yeah I, I used to and then i made the switch and i went through with all my email accounts and like there's some ways where you can just mark all as red like all in history as red and after i did that i now have zero in red emails but what if you didn't read them and you missed something vital but you're not going to go back three years and look at the 10,000 unread emails, right? So I read I, – I open everything. Okay. Well, not open – I don't open everything. If I know I don't need it, swipe, you know, delete, yeah. delete, delete. But right on. Uh, I, I don't leave anything on unread. If I need it, I'll flag it. Yeah, I had to create a folder called important stuff, <laughs> and that's where I throw all my, my drug stuff that I don't have time to read at that moment because otherwise I'll forget. In my work email, I've started to not keep – anything in my inbox at all it all goes to different folders if even it like i have one folder that's like this is important stuff or whatever but i like i don't want it in my inbox i should check my work email every once in a while <laughs> i'm just kidding that's a joke anybody from work listening <laughs> uh, aj what else we got for this i think the biggest thing to think about is providers and the adverse effects it's never too you know you can't increase that uh titration too slowly um even at the starter dose of one milligram you're seeing equivalent uh, lowering of A1C and body weight uh, with semaglutide one milligram. And so from that point on, you know, if you want these patients to uh, stay adherent, understanding that this dual receptor agonist is going to be almost twice as strong, uh, you're going to see, you know, an increased, uh, uh, what do you call it? Adherent, like, yeah. Yeah. You're going to see an increase in here. So yeah, give, start them low and give them some time on it. Well, and did they start at one? I was thinking they started five. at two point two point five. Oh, it was two point five. Two point five, and then titrated oh, okay. up from there based on two point five increments. Am I making that up? One, two point five, five, ten, and fifteen. Okay, right so on. That's quite the titration versus the other like GLP ones, huh? The only one that I actually read like in detail was the surpass two, and then I was like, "There's too many surpass trials." So two is probably summary. It is two was the most compelling to me. That's why I picked that one. Yeah. Still a phase three. We'll see what they actually uh, come out with. Yeah. 
it's definitely, I mean, I would be very shocked if this isn't approved this year. And then the question is obviously going to be the price and all that. Hopefully they'll make it I mean, it comparable was, to GLP-1s. The problem is, it depends. I'm sure they'll do it strategically, of course, but it'll probably come out in September, October, and then get added on to formularies by January. And uh, you'll, you, you may even have to try, who knows, you might have to try a GLP-1 for the insurance to cover it. I could Which see that. Which would be a huge pain in the butt. Pain in the butt. And if you but hopefully they put it in the same place as GLP-1s on formularies. Yes. You know what I mean? That's why if Lily does it right and they price it the same, gosh, that'd be so nice. Because then it's I a no-brainer. I think they will. I mean, I it's, so. it seems like all these injectables are priced around the same. The same. It's, you know, 700 to $1,200 for a month's supply and from an insurance perspective. So, yeah. Yeah. I think they do. It's a lot cheaper than, you know, negative outcomes. Yes. It is. Long-term. Hospitalizations. Not Surgeries. cheap. They're not cheap. New pancreas, not cheap at all. No. All right. So make sure you check that stuff out. If uh, you want more information, um, there's plenty available. Uh, a lot of these studies are from uh, New England Journal of Medicine. They have like some summary videos you can watch, all kinds of good stuff. So definitely make sure you check that out um, and uh, check out that website if they, that I mentioned earlier if you want to uh, subscribe and get some updates from them. Um, and other than that, um, I really appreciate uh, the, the comments and um, some of the ratings we've gotten on uh, – on iTunes and, and Spotify. I actually didn't realize Spotify had ratings, but we were 4.9 on Spotify too. So I didn't know thank, I had ratings Thank either. you guys for that. That is awesome. We, we, we went back up from a 4.8 to a 4.9 on uh, on iTunes. So we're making up for those people who said we are, we sound terrible. Yeah, 4.8 is unacceptable. Yeah, I was really disappointed. <laughs> Plus, I got my feelings hurt by saying my voice sucked. But that's okay. Um, I'll get over it. And uh, so, in, you know, if you guys have any questions, concerns, comments, instead of leaving us a hurtful comment, maybe just send us an email and tell us we sound bad. And then I'll be like, all right, I'll try to work on it. And uh, now if you guys actually have, you know, questions or anything, definitely reach out. Um, I, I've, if I haven't responded or called and responded, I we promise you we're not trying to ignore you. We, we do end up getting quite a few messages um, nowadays. So uh, not to sound like anything, but we just time's sake. It's uh, a little tough sometimes. Uh, we will do our absolute best to get uh, – you know, back to you. And, um, if you want to send us a text directly, 415-943-6116. And, uh, you know, we will do our best to answer you on whichever method of communication you prefer. Um, check out Patreon Hit the links in the show notes. It's got our lecture style, um, you know, lecture style lectures on there with PowerPoint slides and all that. And, uh, I'm going to go through and actually, um, update like the playlist. So you can kind of click at the top there and know exactly which, um, disease state or area of, um, you know, those topics are in. Um, so I got to, got to do that. It's something I'm going to work on. And also, uh, PA school is back in session. So that means Patreon lectures are going to be no choice, but full swing because that's, you know, I have to get the lecture anyway. So might as well, uh, practice uh, early and record them so anyways thank without further ado thank you guys so much uh we'll see you next time have a good one